Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio with host Jerry Prokopovich. Our program covers all aspects of Civil War history, from the battlefields to the home fronts, and features guest experts, plus insight from your host as they discuss the most critical period in American history. Now, here is your host, Jerry Prokopovich. This is Jerry Prokopovich with Civil War Talk Radio. Today is December 7th, a date that lives in infamy. December 7th, 1941, a grim day for the U.S. Navy. Eighty-five years before Pearl Harbor, the U.S. Navy was embarking on the Civil War. Lots has been written about ships and battles of the Civil War, but what about the men who sailed those ships? Tonight, through the magic of internet radio, we'll hear about them. And you, through the magic of the invention of photography, can see them as well. In the pages of Faces of the Civil War Navies, an album of Union and Confederate soldiers. We'll talk with the author tonight, Ronald S. Coddington, on Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America Interactive Radio Player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you tonight from the Civil War Talk Radio World Headquarters Annex at 205 Oxford Road in Greenville, North Carolina. Not on the campus of East Carolina University, not representing the university, talking to you on my own time, but bringing the virtues of East Carolina University and its educational mission uh, through the airwaves, yet not representing it, so not respond. they're not responsible for anything we say, nor will our guests be responsible for anyone but himself, as always, on Civil War Talk Radio. Tonight's show, uh, we're well, we're into the 400s now since the program began, and tonight's show is dedicated to the memory of Heidi, the standard poodle, who many of you have heard over the past years, 13 years, Heidi has been with us. When we do the show from home, sometimes she barks in the background. I carefully close the door to the home office, and she just bursts it open with her nose and comes in and sits on the bed and watches me. 
no more. Uh, she's gone to be with her companion, Ison, the other standard poodle we lost a year and a half ago. Now they are both um, where uh, dogs go. Uh, so uh, it, it's a sad day here on Oxford Road, but uh, we will carry on uh, dedicating this show to the memory of our canine companions. After uh, we took Heidi to the vet for the last time on Monday of this week, that night I was home looking at the computer and activity my wife accuses me of spending all my time doing. And looking at a completely unrelated website, it had to do with music, an ad popped up for Carolina Pet Crematorium. It was bizarre to have something so targeted show up within hours of our our dog's death. Uh, It was pointless because arrangements had already been made, and it was just offensive in the worst ambulance-chasing kind of way to get such a a message. So I can assure you I will never take a pet to Carolina Pet Crematorium, wherever it may be. Uh, But it was creepy to have one's personal uh, sadness suddenly transmitted uh, to the internet and then come back on your own screen as an advertisement. Well, that doesn't happen on uh, terrestrial radio, and if you don't listen to us over uh, uh, as a podcast, which I would say 99.9 and 9 tenths of our listeners do, uh, you can also hear us over the airwaves, uh, 91.7 FM, SBB Radio, streaming and low-power FM in Claxton, Tennessee, also serving the communities of East Oak Ridge, South Clinton, and North Powell. We're on the air there Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday at 9 a.m. If I were not teaching Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 9 or trying to sleep on Tuesday and Thursday, I'd, I'd listen myself. Plus, you have to be within two or three miles of the transmitter. It is final exam week here at East Carolina University. Classes ended yesterday, no, ended Monday. So uh, now students and faculty are getting ready for the next big push as we, uh, some of us write the exams, some are studying for the exams. My students in American military history hopefully are doing their reading, have read Millet and Maslowski's excellent uh, book for the common defense, which we used as a general text, and we had some Uh, other uh, supplementary readings, including one by a Lakota historian called The Day the World Ended at Little Bighorn. Very interesting view of the battle from the the view of the Lakota Sioux people who were there and, and the memories that continue through their nation to the present day. What I found most interesting about this was I gave a, a quiz on the reading after uh, it had been assigned, and we were going to talk about it in class. And quizzes are partly to just make sure everybody's doing the reading. And when I read the students' essays, I would say out of 40 essays, 36, 37 were quite good and talked about Custer and Sitting Bull and Gall and Crazy Horse and Reno and Benteen, and, and they had done the reading. Three of them, however, repeatedly referred to the commander of the 7th Cavalry as General Custard. Uh, as if he were a creamy dessert, which indicated, didn't prove, but as I wrote in their blue book, suggested that they had never seen the person's name in print. And if they were going to pass the course, they would have to do better than that. So uh, 
hopefully we'll not get any general custard stories on the final tomorrow, but we shall see. Speaking of books, David Long's book, the uh, uh, late uh, David Long, former historian at East Carolina History Professor at East Carolina University, his book, The Jewel of Liberty, about the 1864 election, is well worth reading. And I recently came into possession of uh, a box full of copies of this book. And what I would like you to do is read them. So the arrangement I propose is for a $25 contribution to Civil War Talk Radio. Uh, Send me your address. I'll send you one of uh, these copies of David's book. And your donation will be sequestered and mixed with all the other donations. And then when we get, when the, the books are gone, I'll take all the collected funds and donate them to the Civil War Trust in David Long's name. Uh, toward battlefield, Civil War battlefield preservation. So uh, he, he does not have, uh, as far as I know, any family, uh, anyone else who would benefit from this. Uh, and I, I'm sure, I, I think it would be appropriate to honor him with a battlefield preservation donation. So you get the book, uh, and, and he gets credit for the donation. You can go to www impedimentsofwar.org find the PayPal donation button click on it tell me this is in memory of Dr. Long and you'll get your book sent right away use it for Christmas you'll, you'll feel good about that if you have even more funds than that to spend on Civil War activities don't forget May 20th through 28th it's time for Stephen Ambrose Historical Tours to start next summer season, the This Hallowed Ground Tour that I will be leading. Looking forward to seeing, hopefully, some of you there. Last year, we had a few Civil War talk radio listeners, and it was a great pleasure to uh, have them along. Hope to have more of you this year. Contact uh, Stephen Ambrose Tours. Their website, uh, that's the name of the website, Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, Stephen Ambrose Tours, all one word, dot com. Go there and find the uh, Civil War Tour page. Sign up and, and we'll have a great time. One other thing while it's on my mind, uh, that's something that would be a great Christmas gift to give to someone uh, or to yourself. A gift not to give to anyone for Christmas or any other holiday is a recent book I came across by an author who has not been on Civil War Talk Radio because I don't invite people just to ambush them. Uh, but he was a He's a freelance author who writes about World War II and decided a few years ago he'd try his hand at a Civil War book and read a few outdated secondary sources and recalled some things he'd learned in high school and put together just a, a complete uh, waste of, of paper and ink, which I reviewed under uh, for HNET, the uh, the online history service. If you, if you want to read at Google H-Net and my name and the uh, author's last name, which I wasn't going to say, but it's Johnson. Uh, And you'll find that review and see why I I thought so poorly of this book. What astonished me this week was that the same person now has a new book on a very similar Civil War topic that I guess that's what happens. Once you get a book out, even if it's practically self-published, you can get another one. But what astonished me was 
were the quotes from uh, Library Journal and Publishers Weekly or Daily about his first book, which talked about, oh, this is highly recommended, great research. Uh, anyone listening to this show, looking at the research in the book, would immediately say, wow, that's not very good research. Which points out the people who, who produce Library Journal have to review you know, hundreds of books and hundreds of fields. They can't be experts in everything. Don't expect that. But it's a little surprising how completely ignorant they are of, of Civil War history and that they thought that was a good book. Uh, I don't know anything about the new book. I don't plan to have the author on the show. don't plan to read it. I did look on Amazon. It's got one review, and it's a one-star review uh, from someone who knows something about the Civil War and finds the book execrable. So that's something not to buy for for people you care about this this season. It has occurred to me, maybe I'll put this out as a question for you, if if you would like to have this author on the show, just so you can hear me tear him a new one, uh, we can do that, but it really is, is not my style, and I, I, I think I think we'd all be uncomfortable with that, so uh, unless there's an overwhelming demand, we'll, we'll not do that. Instead, we'll talk to people who write worthwhile books, uh, both tonight, uh, an excellent book, uh, very much look forward to telling you about tonight here for the author. Next week, Taya Miles is the author of Tales from the Haunted South, Dark Tourism and Memories of Slavery from the Civil War Era. Interesting topic, short but uh, very intriguing book. And then a whole bunch more in the new year after winter break, but you can find out of those from, about those from Impediments of War. Let's get to tonight's author, kept waiting far too long, Ronald S. Coddington is the author of Faces of the Civil War Navies, an album of Union and Confederate Sailors. Uh, Mr. Coddington, are you there? And we'll see if we get the mic on. There we go. And Mr. Coddington, are you there now? Yes, I am. How are you this evening? Good. Thanks for joining me on the show. Thank you. And I'm so sorry to hear about Heidi. I'm oh, thank you. I, I appreciate that. It, it's... Uh, I, I didn't grow up with dogs, so this is a new experience for me. And it, it's uh, we, we've we had dogs before. We had a, a Boston Terrier who was really insane, even by Boston Terrier standards. Uh, and her passing was just sort of we could deal with that. But Heidi, we had for a long time. But we're here to talk about this outstanding book. And I'll, let me just start by saying off the top. Uh, every week I make a point to read the book that we discuss. That's one of the things that makes it interesting for me, uh, is, is I know what the book's about. And this book, I have read all your introductory matter and uh, a good part of it. But the book consists of 77 two- or three-page accounts of individuals with their, their illustrations, with their, their photographs, and I'll conf- confess up front, I haven't read all 77 yet, but this is one of the rare books that I'm going to finish reading after the show on my own time instead of starting next week's book. It's that interesting and and even addictive to just read one after another of these little vignettes. So I wanted to lay that out there before we even got started, that this is uh, a book all our listeners will, will, I think, thoroughly enjoy. Tell us some we're going to take a, a break very soon, and I apologize for being so long-winded tonight. Uh, but tell me a little bit about your own background and how you, you came to write a, a book like this. Well, um, 
when I was uh, a teenager, I uh, uh, began collecting old photographs, and um, uh, my parents had the flea market garage sale bug back in the mid-70s, and uh, they would drag my brothers and I out to the, uh, every Sunday was uh, go out to the sales, and uh, at one of the sales, I saw a big pile of broken up photo albums on a, on a table, and um, I started rooting around, and um, one of the images on the table in this torn-up album was uh, what I thought was a soldier, a Civil War soldier. And um, uh, the thing that really struck me first, something I just knew instantly, was that this was not the type of image that I had seen in any of my history books. Uh, it was something new to me. Um, it was something very exciting uh, to be able to find this Civil War relic uh, on a table at a flea market was absolutely mesmerizing and thrilling to me. And um, that, that was the beginning of collecting Civil War photographs. We're, a, Brown, I apologize yeah. that cutting you off so soon after you just got started. We are going to take mm-hmm. our first short break, come back here in detail about your introduction to the world of Civil War photography and tell us where it comes from. And, and it's just a fascinating story. We'll come back and hear more of it from Ron Ronald S. Coddington author of Faces of the Civil War Navies, an album of Union and Confederate Sailors. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's p-r-o-k-o-p-o-w-i-c-z-g at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. 
And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking today with Ron Coddington, author of Faces of the Civil War Navies, an album of Union and Confederate sailors. Ron, you said that first photograph you collected uh, from a, a garage sale table back in the 1970s was different uh, from other images you'd seen of, of, of the Civil War era. What was different about it? Well, uh, most importantly, it was a portrait of an individual. Uh, it wasn't a battlefield portrait. Uh, it was not something in that I had seen reproduced in any of my history books. And uh, as a kid, I went through all of them, all of the Civil War picture books. I've been pretty much memorized uh, all the images by heart, and that includes Miller's famous photographic history. Mm-hmm. I just knew them all. And um, this I found fascinating because it was just something I hadn't seen before. And it was an individual. Um, And what I didn't know was at about the same time, 1960s, 1970s, there were a bunch of other teenagers my age, um, slightly older folks, uh, who were having the same experience. Um, these images were coming out of families. Um, they were never part of our visual record. These were the personal, intimate um, objects, the likenesses that the soldiers had made at their local photographer studio, and they shared them with their parents, uh, with their sisters, with their girlfriends, with their wives. And... Um, uh, a bunch of folks around the country were having these experiences, experiences as these images were coming out. And um, um, what I find fascinating looking back on it today, it was really the birth of, um, of sort of a new, area, a new era, a new area of study around these Civil War portrait photographs, which is very different than the battlefield photography that most folks have known, those images that have been around since the Civil War era itself. So people having photo, having portraits made, uh, that itself is a new thing in the Civil War era. Uh, can you talk a bit about the, 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 the phenomenon of the carte de visite? Sure. Uh, one of my favorite subjects. Um, the um, uh, to to really appreciate the carte de visite, you need to have a bit of an understanding about uh, Civil War or, pardon me, photography. Just the history mm-hmm. in general. Uh, it was founded in 1839 uh, in France, uh, but there had been work going on for decades before that, bringing together this um, interest that people had in photosensitive chemicals um, and in the kind of artist tool, uh, the camera obscura that artists would use to trace things. Um, uh, that camera, along with the photosensitive chemicals, ultimately led with a lot of experimentation to the first photograph, uh, and that's the daguerreotype, which is uh, chemicals that are on a copper and silver plate. Um, It immediately, within a month uh, of the announcement, had come to America, and um, Americans doing what Americans do, we love technology, we're interested in making it accessible and democratizing it, we began to apply our expertise and ultimately began to come up with cheaper ways to produce them. 
instead of the expensive silver plate, we used glass, uh, and that was called the ambrotype. And then we got rid of the glass, and we used a plate of iron, and the tintype was born. So we're working to make this process cheaper. Uh, and the most interesting thing about all these images up to this point in history, and by now we're into the mid-1850s, is that all these photographs were hard plates, and they were singular items. They were individual pieces of art, and they weren't reproducible. You could make a copy of them, but mostly they were one-of-a-kind pieces of art. In the 1850s, a new process was developed and patented, and that's the card photograph or the carte de visite, which again came out of, like the daguerreotype, came out of France. So um, this little format, it's a paper print, it's on cardboard, uh, it's a reproducible, you can make as many copies as you like from a glass negative, which of course today we, we take for granted, but that was new technology at the time. And it made its way to America about 1860, uh, right on the eve of war. So many of these soldiers who are being photographed are using the carte de visite format uh, because they can share it with their friends, with their families, and later they, can, later they can share it with their crewmates, they can share it with their comrades. So these little paper photographs, which are about the size of a modern trading card, become all the rage in the United States. So, where the daguerreotype, and ambrotype, and tintype, they produce a single physical hard copy positive image, one of a kind. Once you get the, the, the glass plate negative process, now you can make one negative and then, then reproduce it multiple times on these cards, and people are trading them with each other. I, I was fascinated to learn, as you just said and in the book, that this really comes to the United States in 1860, right on the brink of war. So it, it's a fad that is perfectly timed to coincide with uh, suddenly the, the need of a separating population, men going off to war, wanting to remember uh, the home folks or, or leave a remembrance of themselves. So everyone's getting these made then, apparently. Exactly. And it's also... Um, because the um, copies can be made so easily, the price of photographs plummets. And also, the famous generals, the famous politicians, they can also be photographed and mass-produced and distributed. Um, uh, both the Northerners and the Southerners are so interested to know um, what did President Lincoln look like? What did Jefferson Davis look like? What did uh, the famous generals, what did General Lee look like? What did Stonewall Jackson look like? And they could do that. They could buy the photographs at their local studio and um, put them in an album. And by the way, albums are founded to house the carte de visite. That's the birth of the photo album. So everybody's parlor has at least one, um, sometimes numerous photo albums stacked up on their tables. When uh, when I worked at the Lincoln Museum in Fort Wayne years ago, one of the artifacts we had was Mary Lincoln's uh, carte de visite album. It did not have anything in it. The the pictures had all been removed by others at some point, but but she, like everybody else, had an album and collected. And what again I thought was very interesting was people collected a mix of their family, so Uncle Frank is on one page and 
Secretary of State Seward is on the next page. It, it was not just your family or just famous people. Right. Some of the albums would be thematic. You might have an album that was dedicated to generals. Uh, you might have a family album. Of course, you could mix and match. It was up to the individual. They could arrange the album in the way that they would they would like to see it. Um, one of the in those albums where you might have, for example, General Grant. Um, on one side, on one page, and on the opposite side, you might have an image uh, of your son or your grandson. It's interesting to think about that for a moment because for the first time, these soldiers, the privates, the corporals, the sergeants, the lower-ranking officers, they could be viewed as individuals. Uh, This is the first time that you really see this in history. Prior to photography, you have portraits uh, mostly done in oil, and um, the folks who could afford to have those images painted were, of course, the wealthy, and they were typically the higher-ranking officers. Uh, the lower-ranking officers and enlisted men, they were not really remembered photographically. You might see them in engravings. You might see them in large battle paintings, but they were just creations of artists' imaginations. They were not individuals. So here during the Civil War, for the first time, you're seeing sort of the birth of the individual American soldier. This is the private wearing his uniform. Uh, Maybe he has his cap at a jaunty tilt. Uh, Maybe he's got his hand stuffed in his vest uh, imitating Napoleon. Um, So you get to get a sense uh, of who he is, and he's showing us, he's telling us what he's all about um, in the pose and the look on his face and that expression. One of the great quotes you have in the introduction points out that every, every private now can afford this, and every general is limited to the same two and a half inches by, you know, two inches uh, he doesn't get any more space. The, the, the character of Yazid is a great leveler uh, in, in that everybody gets the same size image. Exactly. That's, that's again, is that, that idea of you can lay these images side by side. And um, General Grant and General Lee has the same amount of real estate as Private, Private Smith or Landsman Brown. It's a great and, equalizer and the, the ultimate, uh, in some ways, it really says who we are as a democracy. You also uh, reference social media as a, a sort of comparison point. I have many Facebook friends, the vast majority of whom I've never met, uh, so they're not what my parents' generation would think of as friends, but it's what we do. And in 1860, people would be exchanging these pictures, apparently. It doesn't necessarily... If you have, if you have somebody's oil painting in your hallway, it means there there's an amount of wealth involved, and there's somebody very important and close. But you can get a carte de visite from uh, anybody you met at a party. Exactly, uh, and um, it's not uh, um, not probably not a surprise. Uh, Queen Victoria had something like a hundred photograph albums <laughs> <laughs> stuffed with all kinds of royalty and all kinds of uh, folks that she met along the way. And so it was with, uh, with both the rich and the famous and also the not-so-rich and famous. So with all these cards to be out there, how did you 
narrow your selection to the, the ones that you have uh, these faces of Union and Confederate sailors? Well, I have, um, uh, this is the fourth book in a series. Um, awesome. I've done Union Soldiers, which was based on my own collection. Uh, that is my, my main focal area. And uh, when I put together my next book, which was on Confederate soldiers, um, I only had a few in my collection. And um, so I reached out to the network of collectors, of dealers, uh, in some cases families, in other cases museums uh, that have begun collecting the images under the larger umbrella of vernacular photography. Uh, And based on all those sources, I was able to pull together identified wartime images of these men. And I applied that same idea, again, reaching out to private individuals and public institutions for the third book, which was on African-American participants in the war, which proved to be the um, probably the most challenging to find uh, the photographs for that one, and, uh, and then The Navy, um, my most recent book. So the, is it safe to say that a fair number of these photographs have not been published before? I would say that most of them uh, have not been published. Uh, they are um, uh, these these images are um, often uh, relegated to museums and historical institutions, which is not necessarily to say that I'm certainly not saying that that is uh, is a bad thing, but um, because they're personal and because they're typically not um, well known folks. Um, they aren't uh, typically included in larger, uh, any larger analysis or larger scholarship. And so they're usually laid aside and, um, and don't get a whole lot of attention. Having said that, each of these uh, men have absolutely fascinating stories to tell. Uh, they all are. They're individual, wonderful entry points into the story a larger story of the Civil War. So um, part of what I like to do is not only bring these photographs out and share them uh, with everyone because I think they're wonderful images, but of course, when you begin to find out what happened to them, when you're able to look at a soldier or a sailor in the face and get a sense of their micro-expressions, get a sense of a feel for what they might have, uh, what they might have been like through the clothing that they wore, the way they wore it. And then if you can read a short story about them that focuses on their central war experience, I think that's really a powerful combination. Uh, and I think it's something that helps remind us of who we are. I think, it's, um, I think the stories remind us uh, of what our responsibilities are when we look back and see what others have done in really challenging circumstances. It gives us an opportunity to think about, at least it gives me an opportunity to think about, what would I do if I was in that individual's brogans? Well, the, the format really does lend itself to that. As you say, each, each uh, reproduced photograph is accompanied by a, a story, any two to four pages, that tells us the, the as you put it, the central uh, 
naval experience of this person during the Civil War, but a little bit uh, about what they were doing before the war, a little bit after the war. Right. One thing that I found uh, intriguing in, in reading through these, you've arranged them more or less chronologically, mm-hmm. so you get a sense of the war's evolution as you read through page uh, story by story, and occasionally you see names popping up in one story uh, and then popping up again in another story, suggesting it's a sort of a small world. Um, yeah. We just have a, a minute or so to the next break. Uh but it is a small world. There aren't that many sailors, actually, uh, compared to the, the millions of men who serve in the, the Army. How, how big were the Civil War navies that you, you've represented here? Rel- rel- relatively tiny, about 100,000 men enlisted. Uh, and the Union Navy, uh, much, much, much smaller, something uh, in, in the thousands in the Confederate Navy. Uh, for sake of comparison, um, about one Union sailor for every 25 Union soldiers. So this is a small world, and these are, this is a small group. So, so when these names keep uh, reappearing, uh, the same person on the same ship, it's not that... Uh, astonishing. Uh, what is uh, surprising is the depth of research about these people. And we are going to take a break. When we come back, I want to ask you about that, how you find the stories that go along with each of these pictures. Uh, where does one search for them? Uh, and, and how do you bring them to us? So we'll come back with that question in just a minute. Talking tonight with Ronald S. Coddington, author of Faces of the Civil War Navies, an album of Union and Confederate Sailors. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu.edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking with Ronald S. Coddington, author of Faces of the Civil War Navies, an album of Union and Confederate Sailors. 
it's a book that includes many previously unpublished portraits of sailors of the Union and Confederate navies with a brief description of the significant action that sailor encountered during the Civil War, a little bit about their life before and after, if that's known. So, Ron, where did you, where did you do the research? How did you find out about these people that you, who, who as you have told us, are, are not famous? Uh, where, do you, where do you learn about them? Uh, first stop is, uh, well, I should say, was the National Archives. Now I use uh, databases uh, um, to be able to access many of the records. Uh, the archives, as you might imagine, kept kept amazing or has kept amazing uh, records from the Civil War era. Um, the passion for record keeping. Um, all aspects of a soldier experience um, can be found. The singular best resource that I used for the Navy sailors uh, are pension files. Most of the men, if they survived, or their widows, um, uh, would file for a pension. And um, those documents can be dozens, sometimes over 100 pages long, um, and they include personal information. They include information about the vessels on which the sailors served. Um, sometimes you'll find personal letters tucked into these files. Sometimes you'll find photographs tucked into the files. And um, uh, those have turned out to be a significant resource and um, often overlooked because they, um, I think for scholars to best utilize them, you need to really invest a lot of time going through hundreds and hundreds of these files to find information. So it's fairly tedious work. Um, there's numerous forms. There's numerous formats. Uh, the writing has to be transcribed. So um, it's a pretty heavy lift. So I start there, and then... Um, I, there's various uh, books, of course, the um, best-known series, the official records of the Union and Confederate Navies is a big help to get an understanding of the, um, the significant actions they were involved in um, and other details of strategy and other operations. Then, of course, you have a number of books that were written, um, post-war reminiscences, memoirs also come into play. And in recent years, another amazing resource has uh, become newspapers, uh, specifically newspapers.com, which is uh, a website that I use. And um, they've digitized um, over a 1,000 newspapers, many of them from the Civil War period. And um, uh, back when newspapers were the only media in town, the depth and the breadth of the reporting, uh, of course, subject to um, various biases, of course, you need to account for all of that. But also, you'd be able to find personal letters that uh, mom and dad may have received from a son and walk down to the street to the local newspaper, and they know the editor, and uh, handed over the letter to the editor, and um, the editor would uh, would print it, um, just because it's, in some cases, more reliable news that he's getting from anywhere else. Uh, 
Those are some of the uh, some of the uh, some of the, the 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 basic resources. Of course, I haven't mentioned diaries uh, and personal letters, which you also find. And, and I should also note that much of this information has been scattered around over the last half century, as individual families distributed of the possessions um, of their veterans. They would sell a letter here, sell a letter there, sell a photograph, maybe sell a uniform, and before you know, it's um, it's scattered all across the, the country. Well, a lot of this obviously comes back together in the pages of this book. Um, as you were putting this together, uh, the stories are very varied. Some of the sailors go to sea, get yellow fever, and die, and that's kind of their whole story. Uh, but there's still a haunting image of them to look at, and you connect with the family back home that way. Others are in some of the most uh, significant moments of the war, the board of the Monitor, or sailing the Mississippi. We're, what what stories really stood out for you as you were putting this together? Are there any that, that you particularly recall thinking uh, this is this is really something? Well, uh, I find all the stories um, fascinating in their own way, mm-hmm. partly because I'm I'm a I'm a detective uh, in a way. I'm researching these lives, and um, I come at this. Some might argue backwards because I start with the photo. Um, I don't find a good story and then try to locate a photo. Um, I start with the image and then try to find out about their lives. And I think it's important for us to um, see the varied experiences. Not everyone was on the Monitor or the Merrimack. You know, not everyone was uh, on the Hartford with uh, Admiral Farragut. You know, there were folks in the uh, Pacific Ocean uh, guarding mail steamers. Um, There were Confederate raiders up in the Bering Straits. Uh, hassling New Bedford whalers. So you have a variety of experiences, and and I wanted to capture that. So um, some of the stories that stand out, stick out to me, having said all that, um, I love the story of uh, Eugene Brown. Um, He was an engineer in the Confederate Navy, um, happened to be on board uh, a ship that uh, rolled into Portland Harbor in Maine, um, and uh, they basically tried to steal a Union ship <laughs> right out from under, uh, right out from under the uh, uh, Union Navy and civilians who are in town. Um, you'll have to read the story to get the details. Uh, all this, by the way, happens just before the Battle of Gettysburg, so the whole event is is largely overshadowed and not particularly remembered. Um, so that's a story that I uh, have found interesting. Um, another story that um, I found just because it was so shocking is a young sailor. His name is Nathan Hopkins. Um, he and a couple of his buddies uh, were serving on a, a Union frigate, and they're on the James River, and they simply wanted to get out and stretch their legs. Getting bored on ship, uh, they're in uncomfortable surroundings and neutral territory at best. Um, long story short, uh, what began um, for 
Nathan Hopkins as a quick jaunt to uh, stretch his legs became a long trip to Andersonville um, Mm. prison. So um, that's a couple of stories. Um, uh, One that still stands out for me is um, Charles Bradford, who was a a Marine lieutenant, and um, he was captured in 1863 in one of the uh, attempts to take Fort Sumter back from the Confederates. And um, for me, it's a journey that still continues. His body was, um, I should say, he was mortally wounded uh, during the attack, and uh, he was buried in a cemetery in Charleston and moved around to several places. Uh, The local townspeople objected to having a, a Yankee buried in their cemetery. They moved him to Potter's Field. Uh, the story goes on and on and on. At some point along the way, uh, his remains uh, went missing, and that was in the 1870s. I'm still trying to find them, and I haven't ah. been successful yet. <laughs> Maybe a listener will know something about it. And, uh, I hope so. Uh, send an email to, to Ron Coddington if you do. So there, there really are so many interesting stories. The, as you say, the variety is, is astonishing. Uh, and they're not all on the famous ones. Um, we could just name them back and forth all night. Uh, well, I, like I, don't really like, I, don't, I don't really like to... Um, I, I love the stories of admirals, generals, colonels. Um, you know, I, I grew up on a steady diet of, of reading those profiles, and I still read them today, and there's plenty of room for more scholarship. Um, however, I also appreciate the stories of uh, these men who are on the, on the ground and in the water. Um, I want to get their perspective. I want to find out what the Civil War was like for them and if they survived, what it was all about afterwards. That is a nice touch that you throw in here. You, you, we read a story of a, a sailor on the USS Hatteras captured by the Alabama, and after the war he's treated for his wounds with morphine and becomes a, an addict. Yeah. Uh, or a just I'm picking random ones out, a, a young Confederate who commands a tiny boat with five sailors and they mutiny and because they're just hungry and want to be fed. And he ends up serving in the Naval Brigade in the Army of Northern Virginia at Sailor's Creek in 1865. But when the war is over, he's in his 40s and he marries a 17-year-old. Yeah. Uh, everybody has a different fate, it seems. Let me yeah, ask you does, uh, really quick in our last few moments, um, I, I, according to the back page, your, your day job is with the Chronicle of Higher Education, which means we could have talked shop the whole time and uh, <laughs> thrilled <true>. our <laughs> listeners with the, 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 the many problems. The wonders of, of academia. <laughs> exactly. Uh, fortunately, we didn't do that. But you're also involved with Military Images magazine, uh, which I think a lot of listeners may not be familiar with. Uh, say a word about that. Yeah, the magazine um, was founded in 1979 during those early days uh, when uh, the, these portrait photographs were coming um, into the public and becoming collectible. And um, I became editor and publisher a few years ago, and uh, the mission is to showcase, uh, to interpret, and um, to preserve these original portrait images. So um, we're a quarterly magazine. You can go to Military Images. Uh, magazine.com to learn more. And um, what we basically do is bring together the personal stories, the narratives, and the material culture of these men and um, feature various stories, surveys, analysis, um, all about them. 
And that's and of course, to there's, Civil War. Of course, there's a ton of unpublished photographs, or I should say first-time published photographs. <laughs> well, it's a, it sounds like a wonderful thing to, to look at. Um, one more word about the, the book, uh, Faces of the Civil War Navies, and I assume this applies to your other uh, Faces of, of the Civil War series books. The, the paper is, feels like it has a sort of clay coating that you sometimes find on the photographic insets in the middle of a book, but this one, every page has it because there's a photograph on every third page. So it's just a, so it's a heavy book uh, for its size. The, the paper is dense. The photographs are very beautifully reproduced. Uh, it's really a, a pleasure to hold and read. Uh, as Johns Hopkins University Press looks like, Bob Brueger must have been involved in this. Um, Bob, Bob, uh, Bob believed in uh, in this project uh, and believed in me early on. And um, uh, his uh, oftentimes an email on the phone. He we would end the conversation with him saying "onward and upward," and uh, <laughs> a huge inspiration to me. Wonderful. Well, this this book is really an inspiring look at the the uh, sailors, and I cannot recommend it highly enough, listeners. Uh, this would be an excellent Christmas gift for the Civil War enthusiast on your list, which could be yourself. Uh, the author is Ronald S. Coddington, a forward by Craig L. Simons, longtime friend of the show as well, and uh, published by Johns Hopkins University Press. Definitely worth getting. And Ron, thank you so much for being on the show tonight. Jerry, thanks so much. I had a great time. And listeners, as always, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Thank you for embarking on a part of American history this week. Civil War Talk Radio with Jerry Prokopovich can be heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.